Welcome to Marketing Tales with Chris Raposo, a podcast created to spotlight and highlight marketers, tell their stories, and share their knowledge with those interested in all things marketing. If you're interested in more than just the cut and dry strategies and tactics and want to learn more about the human side of his guests and how they got to where they are today, then this show is for you. How do you lead a team of demand generation professionals? How do you motivate somebody to come together to work towards a common goal? What's worked really well for me is establishing what's the vision that you have for your team and making it very clear to each one of them what is their role and why is it important? I think just kind of setting that up so that you're all marching to the same you know, uh, beat. And then I think the biggest thing for me that I, I, that I advocate for is just being relentless in the basics. I feel like we don't talk about that enough. And how that inspires and motivates the team is, I, I'm making sure that, hey, we have the vision, but for the four pillars that I shared with you, account-based experience, content marketing, what's your plan? I've shared with you the vision. I've shared with you our objectives from our company. What is your plan? How are you going to help to achieve that? Then as their leader, it's important to orchestrate all those pieces together of how we win as a group. And then of course, don't forget our sales friends because we have to make sure that we're enabling them um, so that they know how to activate it. So, because that also, if your team is seeing that sales, BDRs, whoever, if your village member is not acting on what you're putting together, you feel defeated as a marketer. So that piece is so important, but I think even more important on that is making sure that you're investing in your village to solicit the feedback so that you can continually evolve as a marketer. Who's your village? Again, it's the sales, it's customer success, it's regional marketing. You know, I'm a parent. I think you're a parent too, Chris. And I think we all know as parents how important your village is. Same applies to the workplace. You need your village to survive. Hello and welcome back everyone to another episode of the Marketing Tales Show with Chris Raposo. Today I have the honor of welcoming Lenise Wolf uh, to the show. Lenise, welcome. Thank you. I'm so excited to be here, Chris. Awesome. Yeah. Thank you also to Terry Marks for making this happen for the recommendation, our fellow Peak um, community member. So, Lenise, this is how you pronounce your name, right? Okay. It is Lenise, like Lynn and then your niece combined together. That's me. Very cool. So, I did a little bit of research on you, and I always use LinkedIn to do that. So, you know, to set the stage, talk a little bit about your background and your education, and you saw that you have a business degree from California mm-hmm. State University in Sacramento, and you briefly worked in sales. So when did you know that you wanted to have a career in marketing? You know, I, I didn't. As a little girl, I always wanted to be on TV. And in fact, I went to school to go into broadcasting. And three years into it, which I always remind my mom that I paid for school, but three years into it, I decided that you know, I don't want to report how cold it is outside um, just to get my street cred. And in all fairness, journalists do more than that. But at the end of the day, I realized it's just not for me. And so when I was at this crossroads, my best friend was in marketing and she said, you know, you should come and, and join me. It's a great you know, background. And you know, I'm so happy I decided to follow her. And I ended up taking an advertising class and a marketing operations course. And that's where I really found all my love for marketing. 
Awesome. Yeah, it's, it's yeah. good to figure out that early in life what you want to do and then just pivot, right? I went to journalism school as well, but I went uh, the journalism school I went to at the University of Florida had a public relations program. So I went that route, but I knew that I wanted to get into marketing uh, while I was going to school as well. So, but I yeah. didn't go to business school because I suck at math. So I went to <laughs> communication school and I went that route is how I ended up in marketing as well. But yeah, good on, good on you. So you worked at some really interesting and uh, prominent com- companies like HP and McAfee. And most recently you, um, you worked as the senior, senior director of global demand generation at Menlo Security. Can you tell us a little bit about Menlo Security and your roles and responsibilities there? Yeah, so at Menlo Security, they believe that security should prevent. And I think it's important to call that out because if you look at many in the industry, they talk about detecting and reacting to these threats uh, that we're seeing in the headlines like ransomware, malware. Now, what Menlo does is they enable organizations to outsmart those threats And they do that through their one-of-a-kind isolation-powered cloud security platform. If I simplify it, it's like this protective bubble to allow you to do what you do and do your work on the browser. So that's that's Menless Security in a nutshell. And what I did while I was there was I orchestrated their global demand generation strategy where I created and captured the demand under my team. I had what I considered four different pillars that I had the opportunity to lead. Um, One of those was account-based experience or marketing, whatever your flavor is, content marketing, marketing operations. And then it was kind of like a quasi of campaign slash digital marketing. Okay. Wow. Okay, great. That's that's a lot right there. How many people did, did you work with or did work for you? Yeah. So I had about 10 people who were on my team, three of them uh, who were people managers. It was a lot of fun. It was a lot of great experience. And what I will say is majority of my career has always been in demand generation. And this was the first time, you know, I had mentioned I took an advertising class in college and that performance growth marketing was something that I was able to get reintroduced back to. So it's been loads of fun and lots to learn. (laughs) Yeah. Okay. So you said global, global. Did you, did you, you mean broadly global all the way, or do you? Was it more the Americas, North America, South America? Or was it across the board? No, it was so exciting um, because my majority of my career has also been focused on the Americas, which is usually you know U.S., Canada, Latin America. But it did it, it's it spanned the globe. So you have APAC, um, which could include countries like Singapore, Australia, uh, and then I also had EMEA that I would work really closely with my regional marketing counterparts. That is exciting. Yeah, I'm from I'm I'm originally from Germany, and so I always love to hear about people, you know, working globally, not not just within their U.S. bubble. So that's yeah. always um, relevant to hear that. I had somebody on who uh, worked in China for ten years, and he told me about the different customs and the way to market over there, um, in order not to offend anybody. So it's really uh, those nuances that you have to take into consideration. I think it's exciting, you know, just kind of getting out of your bubble and especially coming from the U.S. And usually U.S., you get all the resources and then you kind of expose yourself to like going outside and like South Korea, they use Naver. They don't use Google as a browser. So, you know, it's some of those things that you end up learning and kind of figuring out how are the different challenges? How do they translate globally? And, you know, just finding those different nuances. But, you know, for me, it's always a great opportunity to learn something that I don't know. And terrifying. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and with those, with those, um, you know, opportunities that you have there, 
How did you develop a demand generation strategy and how have you measured the success of those strategies in the past? Yeah, Chris, I love a good framework. And for me, a framework that has always been um, good to me is called STEAM. And so the S stands for strategy. And, and with strategy, I typically look to what are the company objectives? So like as an example, one of the company objectives could be aligning business for profitable growth for said product or solution. So once you have that as your North Star, then what I look to is the T, which is target audience. And with target audience, I, I usually like to look at two different groups. I like to look at the business buying group and the technical buying group. Why do I look at both of those different groups? Um, because the way we communicate should be differently. Why? Because they have different challenges. So bear with me, I'm gonna digress slightly, but let's say because I'm in the security space, you have for your business buyer, a chief information security officer. And their challenge could be, you know, how do I match the pace of these increasingly sophisticated cyber attacks that are happening. Whereas you have someone who's more technical, let's say like a security analyst, their challenge is gonna be different. They're gonna have challenges that are, you know, how do I mitigate risks where I have lack of control because of human error for other lines of business. So, you know, I, I call those things out because the challenges are different and the way we communicate and amplify that messaging is differently, which brings me to the E, which is engagement. And those are all the different channels like LinkedIn, email marketing, events, you know, the beat goes on. Um, th those are the different channels of how you engage to then A, which is activation. And I think that is super important to be included in the framework because that's how you enable your sales team, your business developer or your SDRs, um, whoever really is the reciprocating person that gets your inbound leads to then metrics. And at least from my experience, the North Star metrics that I've always been held accountable for are the number of meetings generated, uh, opportunities, and then most importantly, closed one revenue. Okay. Wow. That was in depth and I love it. I think we're going to get so much value out of this one uh, for, for you sharing that. Thank you so much. And I'm always about the metrics. As, as a solo marketer, my company, you know, always hold myself high up to the KPIs that my boss gives me, and I'm always trying to hit those, right? But when it comes to KPIs, especially somebody who's not been doing it for a long time, like me, I just started in July, 2022, you know? So I'm like, should I get MQLs? Should I get SQLs? You know, what's more valuable to my company? So for you, what are some KPIs you mm -hmm. use to measure the, the success of a demand generation campaign for your team? So do you focus more on MQLs or do you focus more on actual SQLs? Yeah, it's so funny and it's a great question because I think what a lot of people have been talking about, like I've been reading a lot of Forrester uh, blogs and they talk about how the MQLs are dead. And for us, because one of my pillars is account-based experience, we started to kind of look away from marketing qualified leads. And one of the primary KPIs was we decided we we're gonna test out um, marketing qualified accounts. And what that is for those who are not experienced in it is we wanted to look at the accounts instead of kind of, you know, throwing spaghetti at the wall and seeing which sticks, we wanted to identify accounts that were in market, meaning that they were actually showing some level of interest. And we got that data from Sixth Sense. Um, but we also coupled those accounts to see, okay, are you showing intent? but are you also engaging with Menlo Security as an example? Mm -hmm. So in that way, we did integrate the marketing qualified lead. Um, and it was just a way for us that we wanted to test out 
-hmm. Are we being intentional? Are we getting in front of people that we know are showing research? Um, so from there, we looked at, okay, how many marketing qualified accounts have we generated? But most importantly on that, how many actually converted to opportunities? If I can, I will say there's two others that were really important in terms of KPIs. We didn't completely get rid of MQLs per se, but we did look at those MQLs and prioritize those that had a higher probability to convert. And mm -hmm. what we found through our data was those MQLs that came in from inbound web, meaning they wanted to schedule a demo, they wanted to talk to sales, those were a huge priority. And that was something that we did monitor and look after. And then the third piece that I think is really important as a KPI was content consumption. And what we did there and why that was important was because we wanted to see if our message was resonating. And mm -hmm. so what we did was we looked at page views from our blogs to gated, ungated content, content syndication, um, everything that, all the content that was on the website, that's what we measured in order to see if that was actually um, hitting home for people. I love that. And, and that makes a lot of sense, you know? So when I got my number, my KPIs, my MQLs that was supposed to hit, I went mm -hmm. after, I said, I, okay, I gotta hit those MQLs. That's all I worry about. I, I was like, I, I don't care. I just want to hit those M MQLs, right? Yeah. But as I got closer to that goal, I'm talking to sales. I'm like, you have all the MQLs. What's actually worth it to you, right? What actually moves yeah. the needle? Are we getting any calls? Because if I bring you a thousand MQLs, but they're not going to convert down the funnel, then it's a waste of everybody's time, right? Oh, so yeah. I, well, well, that, sorry, I didn't mean to cut you off, but that's the thing too. And I feel so passionately about it is we can achieve our MQL goals and be at the finish line, high-fiving each other in marketing. But if sales is still tying their shoes and they're saying, wait a minute, we yeah. don't have any opportunities. We don't have any revenue. Are we really winning? I don't mm -hmm. think so. So I think we have to figure out how to win as a team. And just like you said, identify what's going to give us the highest probability and just give them as many um, at-bats to try yeah. to find those. Yes, exactly. And then also what you, what you said with your content creation piece, you want to create content that actually resonates with your key target audiences to help them drive down the funnel. For example, one of our clients recently wrote a LinkedIn article about her experience using our product. 10 points. I was like, oh my gosh, this is gold. So I asked my boss to contact her to ask her if we can use her blog post, her article, and make it a guest blog post on our website. And she awesome. agreed. I was like, we got to publish this now. So yeah. the social proof piece, give it to sales. They can give it to similar clients to say, oh, hey, yeah. these people using it, they're the same institution as you. You should use us or at least give us a try. You know that. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Don't trust me. Look at what this person is saying about us. And, and I promise we didn't pay her. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. Exactly. I made a big disclaimer on there as well. So I love yeah. that. I love that. Yeah, we, we should look beyond ourselves and our needs and, and become yeah. this cohesive unit. Sales, marketing, customer success, uh, go time. to market. That's right. Yeah. Um, you can tell I've been influenced by Sangram. And yeah. <laughs> we all have. We all but, have. But it is like, I think that that's the, you know, I, I, I always like to say the sum is greater than the parts. And I think that that's where you get some of that misalignment and that disconnect, because if we have our marketing initiatives, you know, how are we all supposed to win together? The way to win together is that go to market strategy where you have marketing and you have uh, customer success and sales all working together for one common goal, which is revenue. 
Exactly. That's what it's all about at the end, right? Keeps the lights on, keeps the people employed. Exactly. Yes. All right. So let's talk about channels a little bit. Uh, you, you touched on LinkedIn, email marketing, events a little bit to product uh, to market the product. Um, what channels do you use and how do you prioritize the different channels and tactics you use for demand generation? What factors do you take into account when it when you make these decisions? Yeah, no, it's a great question. So, you know, some of the channels, just like you had mentioned, um, we've leveraged LinkedIn account-based ads. We had a vendor who also helped us to do people-based ads so we can tar uh, target specific people within our target audience with messaging. And what we found is that helps us to create really great awareness. Mm -hmm. And if anything, we can position a landing page, our website, so that they can continue to consume and learn more about the solutions that we provide. Um, the other piece that we always that we always integrate was um, the email marketing. And I think that has been really beneficial because some people may say, well, email is also dead. Nobody wants to be spammed. But I think that when you're intentional based off of where those prospects are in the buying stage, and if they're, if what you provide is resonating with their challenges, you can actually use email marketing effectively to then nurture those prospects throughout the different buying stages that they're in. Um, events, like you had mentioned, those tend to just have a higher probability of converting into meetings. So those are like table stakes, but just other, you know, channels that come to mind that we've also leveraged is sales cadences. It goes back to that partnership with sales, uh, direct mailers, content syndication, and webinars. webinars. Oh, paid search is also a huge piece of it too. Can't forget that one. Um, I think how I prioritize those different channels are really based off of three things. I think one is, is going back to your North Star. What are the company objectives? Um, what are the outcomes that you're looking to achieve with your program? And then I think at the end of the day, let's be realistic. Money talks. So how much budget do you actually have? So I think that then becomes helpful to understand, you know, what are those factors that you take into um, consideration? And for me personally, um, I love data. And I strongly rely on data and analytics to determine where do I want to place my bets. I am a bit of a gambling person, so I like to make sure that I'm a little strategic when I want to make sure where I'm going to put my money. Um, and you know, some the three, actually maybe four things that I consider when I talk about data and analytics is I look at you know what were some of the triggers that led your prospects into the pipeline. Maybe what's some of that first touch channels, and that really helps you to develop your at least top of funnel strategy. Mm -hmm. Then what I look at is what were those channels that helped to generate the meetings? Because then that's going to influence what your middle of the funnel strategy is going to be to then what's actually generating revenue. And that's what's going to help to influence your bottom of the funnel strategy. I will say, Chris, in looking at the data, there's a lot of themes that come out of it. Uh, you know, I, I, I would have to mention multi-touch attribution. It's helpful. Why? Because you can also look at campaign performance. Again, at least for me, what I found is themes, themes of channels that are really singing and performing. And what I've always told my team is do less than obsess. It's so easy to try all these different channels, but try the three or four, whatever your flavor is. Try those three, make sure you develop a well-oiled machine, then go ask for more money then add more channels and make sure how does it start to orchestrate? How is it producing? If one's not, then you pivot. Um, but again, your data is your best friend there. Yeah, 100% agree that data is the best friend and it helps you uh, convince the, uh, you know, 
the people with the money to give you a little bit. I, think, I mean, you know, you got to come with your facts when you're talking to finance. So yeah. I think that's going to, again, that, that kind of lends itself. A hundred percent, a hundred percent agree with that. And I love, I love, I personally love webinars uh, for lead generation and just um, add value. So that's what we did. And sometimes you want to be, you always want to be on the beat of things, right? Like when Jet GPT came out, we offered a Jet GPT uh, webinar for higher ed marketers. So I had a panel of uh, thought leaders on there and there was great demand for that. And the same with, uh, with the Google Analytics force, which come July 1, yeah, yeah. we have one of those as well. So a lot of demand there, people coming in front of us that never even heard about us before, right? So now I can nurture them uh, after after we had that, you know, that webinar. So uh, yeah, I love those. So talking about, let's talk about some some gaps in, in strategies. Can you tell me about a time when you identified a gap in your demand generation efforts and how did you develop a successful plan to address this? Yeah, so a gap that I ran into was just the misalignment. And I know like others have talked about misalignment we had with sales operations, with our BDR team, mm -hmm. and just with marketing overall and on our marketing operations team. Um, we had issues that did not lend itself to the handoff process, or even we were all on forecast calls together and we weren't able to reflect success. Now, what do I mean by that? Because we were so focused on marketing qualified accounts, our conversion rate was about 1%, which was not very enticing to our CRO, no, nor our CEO. And so what I ended up doing was taking the initiative to what I call sitting in the gap. And as I mentioned, the sum is greater than the parts and we have to figure out how do we all work together. In order to do that, I started to create these weekly meetings because what ended up happening was it seemed like we were finding issue after issue almost on an everyday basis. So these weekly meetings allowed us the opportunity to just let's list them all out because otherwise it's becoming overwhelming. And then what that also helped us to do was identify what's the low hanging fruit where we can just get some quick wins. Um, the other piece of that was just meeting individually with the different groups to understand what their pain points were and what their challenges were. And what we ended up finding was that we all had competing priorities, go figure. Mm. And, you know, so I, I think what ended up happening from that is we ended up deciding, let's have a one day workshop where we're face to face, because as much as I would love to interact with people over Zoom, you do become more effective when you're actually face to face with people. And we decided to take a step back and look at what's the customer experience that we're looking towards that we want to achieve, where we can be intentional. What are our customers saying? What are they feeling? What are they doing? And I think by kicking us off and focusing on what was the most important piece, which is focusing on the customer, it allowed us to then identify, okay, let's be realistic. We can't boil the ocean. What are the top three things that are going to be a high impact, um, but also that are the most important so that we can put a plan around it, share it with our sales leaders and our marketing leaders to say, hey, look, this is where we're aligned. And we're going to have this as a quarterly objective and key result that we're going to follow through on. Now, what the result of that was is a bit long winded, but the result of that was, like I mentioned, our MQA marketing qualified accounts were converting at 1%. Mm -hmm. And within four months of putting in that work and that investment, we were able to see that conversion increase to 6%. So, you know, sitting in the gaps is yeah. always what a great opportunity to just learn about others, learn about yourself, and then learn just, you know, how do we become more effective together? I love that approach. Um, you talked about the importance of face-to-face. -face. Do you all work in the same vicinity or how did you get everybody together? 
No, I mean, there's um, some of us who are in Texas, some of us who are in Atlanta, some of us who are in Mountain View, California. And so we all just planned as, as, as a team, hey, what's the week? Uh, what's the month? And mm-hmm. then make sure to carve that down and then dedicate an entire day to solving this. That's awesome. So since you're a leader and you, you work with quite a few people together, how do you lead a team of demand generation professionals? How do you motivate your team to achieve their goals? You know, everybody has their own objective. How do you motivate somebody to come together to work towards a common goal? Yeah, I think what's worked really well for me is establishing what's the vision that you have for your team and making it very clear to each one of them what is their role and why is it important. I think just kind of setting that up so that you're all marching to the same, you know, uh, beat. And then I think the biggest thing for me that I, I that I advocate for is just being relentless in the basics. I feel like we don't talk about that enough. And how that inspires and motivates the team is I, I'm making sure that, hey, we have the vision, but for the four pillars that I shared with you, account-based experience, content marketing, what's your plan? I've shared with you the vision. I've shared with you our objectives from our company. What is your plan? How are you going to help to achieve that? Then as their leader, it's important to orchestrate all those pieces together of how we win as a group. And then of course, don't forget our sales friends because we have to make sure that we're enabling them um, so that they know how to activate it. So Because that also, if your team is seeing that sales, BDRs, whoever, if your village member is not acting on what you're putting together, you feel defeated as a marketer. So that piece is so important, but I think even more important on that is making sure that you're investing in your village to solicit the feedback so that you can continually evolve as a marketer. Who's your village? Again, it's the sales, it's customer success, it's regional marketing. You know, I'm a parent. I think you're a parent too, Chris. And I think we all know as parents how important your village is. Same applies to the workplace. You need your village to survive. That is 100% correct. And you've got to show the empathy in order to drive them there. Okay. Nudge them uh, gently forward. <laughs> oh, big time, big time. Yeah. Uh, so what's one important lesson that you have learned over the course of your marketing career that you can share with uh, newly uh, budding marketers out there? Yeah, for me, what's been um, key to my success and the advice that I give is replace your mouth, grab those ears, and put them there. Mm. And, and that is really simplified the key to your success. I think sitting with your sales team and understanding what are their challenges, understanding you know how are you able to get into an account to what are the challenges that you're seeing within the account? What are the outcomes that your account is looking to achieve? Um, oftentimes, I feel like what I've seen is we're so quick to push our initiative or we come with this like laundry list of things that we want our village members to do. And I can tell you right now, it doesn't resonate. Mm -hmm. I can also tell you when we start speaking in acronyms and marketing lingo, nobody understands what the hell you're talking about. (laughs) So for me, what I've learned is listen, repeat what you heard, keep listening, keep asking questions, brainstorm of how you can help them and make sure you're using that common language because I think it's something that people just don't realize they're like talking another language and you know again it's not that I'll pick on sales it's not that they're incompetent 
They have a lot of things that they're being hit with in addition to their pay being at risk. Mm -hmm. And I think the more simple we can make it, the more effective we'll be as a team. 100% agree. Yeah, make it simple. what is that acronym? Or it's saying keep it simple, stupid, or something like that? Yeah, yeah. I always like to say keep it simple, silly. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, let's say somebody wants to learn a little bit more about marketing or uh, demand generation. It doesn't have to be a demand generation, but what are two books or podcasts or video creators you recommend anybody should look into to learn more about their about marketing? Yeah, I was, you know, I think of books because I love to read, but I will caveat, I'm a mother to three small children. um, So to read is actually a luxury, but I will say uh, the book that I have picked up that was recommended to me and has been really instrumental is called The Digital Pivot by Mm -hmm. Eric Schwartzman. And what it does is um, he provides more of a simple approach on how do you market in the digital world that we live in. And what I like about it is he has a framework Um, And you know how much I love me a framework and he has four steps. One of it is, you know, learning more about your owned media, which is your website. And he has a saying, it's, you know, whoever controls the layout controls the payout. And it's pretty catchy. You can't forget it. Um, But he does. He he gives you, you know, the framework of understanding owned media to shared media, earned media, paid media. And it's a simplified way of understanding how to leverage the data. Um, The other book, and I have not read it yet, but I want to because it was highly recommended to me and what I've seen so far of it is really good. I do have it on my shelf is called Buyer Personas, and that's by Adele Ravella. And what she does is it's another how-to guide for marketers that are going into the process of building out your buying personas. What I love about it is it talks more about how do you interview customers? And instead of us being scared or intimidated by, oh, what am I going to say to the customer? She gives you a how-to of what are the type of interview questions you should focus on so that you don't have to reinvent the wheel. She's already put the how-to guide for you. So I think that's an interesting book that I would recommend. And that is next on my list to read. Yeah, I've not heard of those. So that's good to to know. I'm I'm going to look into those and I'm sure the audience will be appreciate that as well. Yeah. Before we close the episode, how can people get in touch with you to learn more about you and what you've planned next after Menlo Security? Yeah, I would say connect with me like all people on LinkedIn. It's probably the easiest way. Lenise is, you know, there's not a lot of Lenises out there, so it should be pretty easy to find me. Um, but, you know, Chris, what I've decided to do is I actually decided to step away from Menlo Security. Um, why? Because I decided to bet on myself. And I've taken a mini sabbatical uh, to really spend this time with my kids. They're small, nine, five, and two, so very busy. Um, But I also decided that I want to be more intentional on what my next move is going to be. And until then, start a new podcast that I'm calling She Pack. So be on the lookout. Um, She Pack, the intent behind it is really to empower young female professionals to support their climb, gain better visibility on what their purpose is, And it's really an opportunity for our trailblazers who are out there to just share their stories and their path to success, including things from work-life balance to overcoming challenges and adversity in the workplace. So I'm super stoked. I have no idea how to podcast. I may pick your brain after this, um, but that's what I'm starting by this summer. So, you know, I'm hoping by the end of summer, be on the lookout on your social podcast platforms uh, for SheePack. She pack. I'm very excited about that. And I know that my wife will be on that as well. So looking forward to that. 
And also, congratulations on taking that 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 leap for the sabbatical. I have a I have a four year old and a two year old as well. And oh yeah, you get it. <laughs> time goes by so fast, and you never can get it back. So, well done. Well, I really appreciate you being on the show. It was such a rich episode, and uh, the insight that you shared with the audiences are going to be relevant yeah. to everybody listening. So, thank you. No, thank you, Chris. This was so much fun. All right, take care. All right, take care, my friend.